number 14. Over the course of the summer weeks, I plan to go through several more of the Psalms with you. And we come this morning to Psalm 14. And this Psalm uh, is very much a focus on the full. A focus on the full. In 1967, uh, Harvard scientist George Wald won uh, the Nobel Prize. He was a celebrated and gifted scientist. And he won this most renowned of prizes for his application of his scientific knowledge uh, in his field of work. Uh, Christian writer and speaker John Blanchard quotes, includes a quote from George Wald in one of his books. When asked about the origins of the universe, uh, Wald said that there were only two possibilities. Uh, supernatural creation or spontaneous generation. In other words, that it was just a big accident. Spontaneous generation, Wald said, had been disproved a hundred years ago. But that only leaves one other option, he said, supernatural creation. Wald said, we cannot accept that. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance. A gifted scientist who won a globally recognized prize for his scientific work. And yet when it came to the origins of the universe, he was willing to ignore the truth and logic and believe in the impossible. And by contrast, a Christian speaker was asked on one occasion how he could possibly believe that all the dogs in the world had come from just two dogs that went onto Noah's Ark. He replied by saying that he found it a lot easier to believe that all dogs came from two dogs than to believe that all dogs came from slime on a rock. And yet most people around us today would fall into the first category rather than the second. They would rather believe that all dogs and all creatures came from slime on a rock than believe that we were created by God. The issue is exactly what George Wald said it was, acceptance. If you accept that everything came from something or from someone rather than from nothing, then you really have to rethink completely how you live your life. And most people would rather not do that. And the Bible calls that stubborn attitude foolishness. Regardless of whether you have a PhD in your name or you're a Nobel Prize winner or whatever the case may be, the Bible repeatedly emphasizes that there are only two ways of living. The way of wisdom or the way of foolishness. The way of wisdom is found in Jesus Christ and the life that he gives. The way of foolishness leads to our separation from God and death. And the question is, which is true of us? Am I wise or am I a fool? I want to think about several questions that the psalm answers for us this morning. First of all, who is the fool? Who is the fool? If the psalm speaks about foolishness so much, we need to know who it is that it's calling a fool. Well, verse 1 tells us, The fool has said within his heart, There is no God. The literal translation is even starker. The fool simply says, No God. No God. And that's who the fool is, according to this psalm. And immediately we might think of the kinds of people I've just mentioned, maybe a Richard Dawkins or a Sam Harris or some of the sort of celebrity atheists that go out of their way to give their opinions on how there is no God or, or where our world elsewhere came from. 
But notice, friends, that the psalm does not really talk about those kinds of people uh, as such. It's, it's, it says that uh, the fool doesn't say there is no God publicly on, on a TV program or part of a debate. But the fool says there is no God in his heart. In his heart. Just notice that in verse 1. The heart in the Bible is the center of our being. It's who we really are, if you like. It's where our motives and desires and thoughts begin. So if you believe something in your heart, you might not necessarily voice it out loud. Let's say, for example, that a young fellow quite, li- quite likes a young girl. He probably won't immediately tell her at first unless he's feeling very confident. But in his heart, he's thinking, she seems nice. She seems attractive. I'd like a relationship with her. But he he doesn't say those things. But how he acts is based on how he feels in his heart. He makes a point of talking to her. He takes opportunities to be in the places that she's in. To find out more about her. To make conversation with her. His heart determines his actions. Now pay attention to this. The fools are not just the vocal atheists on TV or on YouTube. The fool is anyone who acts as though there is no God. Who acts on the basis of what their heart truly believes. The Islamic terrorist who rejects the true God of the Bible. In favor of some concocted Allah who will be pleased with him for blowing up a village full of Christians. That terrorist is a fool according to this definition. The national government that passes laws about redefining marriage and what's permissible and what should be celebrated in terms of sexuality and gender, that government is made up of fools. They're acting as though there is no God who has already defined these things and spoken to these things. The churchgoer, even the committed church member, clean-living, respectable man or woman, who nonetheless does not take seriously the word of God in everyday life, acting as though God has not spoken about how they're to treat their spouse or what they should or shouldn't look at on the internet or how they should handle their tax forms or how they should drive their car. The person who, whose name is on a church rule but who doesn't think twice about God's word the rest of the week, that person is a fool. You see, whether you're an Islamic terrorist or a member of a church like ours, friends, all of us have a natural foolish tendency in our hearts. And it's not about how many GCSEs you got or didn't get. It's not about brains. It's about our nature as sinful human beings. That in our hearts, if not always with our mouths, we act as though we believe as though there is no God. Who was the world's first atheist? Or to be more accurate, who was the first person who acted as though there was no God? It was Eve taking the forbidden fruit and and Adam standing there letting her do it and doing nothing about it. They were acting as though there was no God to answer to for this. They believed Satan's lie that rather than trust God, that rather than believe that they were already as much like God as they needed to be because they were made in his image, that there was something else that they should reach for and get for themselves. Every sin, friends, is an atheistic sin. 
It's a statement that God doesn't see or God doesn't judge or God doesn't matter. The fool is the person who doesn't honor the Lord's day, setting it aside for worship, rest and doing good. If you don't keep the Lord's day, you're saying that there is no Lord, no God whose day it is. It's just another day for us to do as we like. The fool is the person who uses the name of Jesus, as I'm sure all of us and boys and girls included, you hear people doing this, who use the name of Jesus as a swear word, just a thoughtless way of showing anger or shock, as if there is no real Jesus whose name means something and should be treated with the utmost reverence and respect. The fool, again, is the person who doesn't take time to read God's word each and every day, who acts as though they're smart enough and wise enough to look after themselves, as if the God who created them and the entire universe doesn't have anything that's worth 15 minutes of our time to read. How many times have we gone all day without talking to God in prayer, speaking about God to others, worshipping him in praise, as though there is no God who is worthy of these things? How many times, friends, have you and I acted the fool? Some of you might remember the the 1980s comedy series on the BBC Blackadder. Uh, In the last ever episode... Uh, the main character, Captain Edmund Blackadder, played by Rowan Atkinson, who also played Mr. Bean. Uh, Blackadder is in the trenches in World War I, and he and his men are preparing to finally go over the top uh, and head into no man's land towards the German machine guns. Uh, Blackadder knows that it's a suicide mission. He knows it's absolutely crazy for him and his men to be sent towards these guns that are just going to mow them down. And so Blackadder tries to get out of it by pretending that he's lost his mind, that he's too insane to fight. But it doesn't work. He's still ordered to go over the top. And the very last scene of the series is Blackadder and his men about to go up the ladder onto the battlefield. And Blackadder says, I should have known not to act like a madman. After all, who's going to notice one more madman around here? It's a mad world, friends. It's a world in which every man and woman has acted the fool. And in our hearts, if not in our mouths, we have said, No God. No God. Spurgeon quotes from a man called Dixon, preaching in his time, says, Every man, so long as he lies unrenewed and unreconciled before God, is nothing in effect but a madman, a fool. And so, friends, Psalm 14 calls us out. It tells us who we really are or who at least we really were by nature, fools. Not because of something we haven't learnt or understood, but because the cry of our hearts is, no God, no God. So who is the fool? But secondly, uh, how does the fool show his foolishness? How does the fool show his foolishness? Well, there are two ways in which the fool shows his foolishness according to this psalm. And that is in disobeying God's law and oppressing God's people. Disobeying God's law and oppressing God's people. In verse 3, the psalmist emphasizes that the fool has disobeyed God's law. Look what he says in verse 3. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. 
Uh, notice how he emphasizes there the, the universality of this problem that every man or woman by nature falls into this category of fool. Three or four times there, the language emphasizes that, that God is watching on. Verse 2, he's watching everything they do, and yet everyone disobeys him again as if there is no God to whom we are accountable. There's a program on TV. This is one that I purposefully haven't watched, but the gist of it is that young people go off on holiday to some party place in Europe, and unbeknown to them, their parents go too, and this film crew films everything the, the teenagers do and, and then it's shown to their parents and then at the end of the whole thing the teenagers are brought to realize that actually they were being watched the whole time. And that's what the psalmist is saying here that these people act so foolishly they, they indulge every lust and every sin and everything they want to do and ignore God's law as if there is no God to whom they will give an account. As if God doesn't see, as if God doesn't know. And so the fool is foolish, first of all, because he disobeys God's laws. But as well as that, the fool is foolish because he oppresses God's people. Again, as if God doesn't see that and won't do something about it. Look at verse 4. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? What he means there is that for some foolish people, attacking God's people just comes as naturally to them as eating their bread, eating their daily food. They don't even think about it. They just do it. The lawmaker targeting Christians who pray for people struggling with sexual temptation. The African warlord sending his followers into a Christian village to rape and ransack and terrorize the false teacher who's managed to get a, a platform in the church spouting lies and taking advantage of vulnerable people who genuinely are seeking after God. Time and time again, friends, the Bible is clear that God does see such foolishness, such wickedness, and God will act in the end. In 1 Kings 21, Queen Jezebel, one of the most wicked characters in the Bible. Uh, you'll know the story. She arranges for a man called Naboth to be killed because her husband, uh, King Ahab, quite fancies having Naboth's vineyard. And so Jezebel, just without thinking about it, has this man Naboth put to death. But through Elijah the prophet, God tells Jezebel that dogs will lick up her blood for what she has done. Now, it doesn't happen instantly, but... Several years later, 2 Kings chapter 8 tells us that Jezebel is assassinated. She falls out of a window and dogs do indeed clean up her corpse. God takes his vengeance. And similarly, in Acts chapter 12, King Herod executes James, the brother of John, one of the disciples. And he thinks he's got away with it and he goes off to be uh, to a reception party for him elsewhere where people are all shouting about what a great man he is and, and they even say to Herod the voice of a God and not of a man when he speaks and no sooner have those people said that than King Herod is struck down dead by God and all throughout history friends foolish men and women have continued to attack the people of God whether it was the former Soviet Union or today in China or North Korea or parts of Northern Africa, 
India, where we have brothers and sisters in the RP church, pastors thrown in prison, homes attacked, church buildings burnt to the ground, laws passed in a desire to curb Christian freedom. God does see it, friends, and he will deal with it, as we'll consider shortly. But here's the foolishness, here's, here's the foolishness of mankind at its worst. Blatantly disobeying God's laws, viciously attacking God's people. And most foolish of all, doing these things as though God does not see. He does see. And we need to remember that in our own lives as well when we face our own temptations to sin. God sees those temptations. God sees and hears the gossip and the grumbling that comes from us at times. He sees the thoughts that go through our minds that are lustful or proud or impatient. It's foolishness to believe that he doesn't see such things. And so again, with that definition in mind, are are we living wisely or foolishly? Whether or not you call yourself a Christian today, do the decisions you make, the words that you speak, the motives in your heart, do they suggest someone who lives knowing that the eyes of a holy God are upon you? Or do you live like a fool, thinking that you can live as you please, provide for yourself, and that you're accountable only to yourself? Who is the fool? How does the fool show his foolishness? And thirdly, and finally this morning, what will happen to the fool? What will happen to the fool? Well, only one of two things Either the fool is saved by God's grace or the fool is condemned to God's judgment. Either the fool is saved by God's grace or condemned to God's judgment. Verse 4 in the psalm, if you look at it, suddenly mentions God's people. And yet the psalmist has been talking about how the world is full of fools and all people have fallen into this category of foolishness. And so the question is, how can anyone belong to God if we're all sinful fools? Well, the answer is only because God is incredibly gracious to men and women who don't deserve it. Ralph Davis says, For all the -the across-the-board corruption of the human race, yet this psalm speaks of a generation of the righteous. And the question is, where did they come from? The psalmist says, first of all, that we've all gone astray, we're all foolishness, and yet he speaks here about a generation of the righteous. Where did they come from? Well, Paul tells us where they come from in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know, he says, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, he says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, Paul says. In other words, You who are listening to this, you who are now believers, you used to be fools. But, he says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's where the generation of the righteous comes from that Psalm 14 speaks about. This world full of madmen, this world full of fools, God has entered in by his grace and by his Spirit. And he has saved us by his grace and made us wise unto salvation through faith in Christ. If you're a Christian today, 
You might still act foolishly sometimes. Your old nature might still tempt you to believe sometimes there is no God. And so we still fall into sin of one kind or another. But that's not who we really are anymore. That foolishness does not define us. And of course as Christians if we find ourselves still prone to some sin or other. It hurts us. We're not happy about it. We, We want to be rid of it. And we take steps to repent of it. But it's not who we really are anymore. If you're a Christian today you're not really a fool. You have been washed sanctified justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and you're part of the generation of the righteous now to the world that sounds like utter foolishness that's what paul was talking about in first corinthians 1 which we read from earlier verse 27 god chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise god chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong what's paul talking about He's talking about how God loves to turn the world upside down. The world says the idea that God became a man and died on a cross and rose again. That's foolishness to the world. That doesn't fit with the world's ideas of greatness and of self-improvement and self-advancement and achievement. Paul says that's exactly the point. God takes everything that the world calls wise and turns turns it on its head. And says, here's the wisdom that came down from heaven. Through something as foolish as offering himself up for for death on a cross, friends. Jesus took the penalty that all of our foolishness deserved. He who never acted foolishly. Jesus, who was never a fool in any regard. Came and provided for fools like us to be saved. If we're Christians, if we're bound for heaven... If we have assurance of everlasting life, we should never become proud and think that we've earned it. We should never be looking down on anyone else who doesn't yet have that faith. We should remember who we were, fools, bound for a lost eternity, but saved by the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Ralph Davis, in his little book on the Psalms, which is well worth reading, Uh, just on the first uh, I think the first book covers the first 12 Psalms and the next one the next 10 or 12 but uh, he tells the story of a famous high school football coach in America called Paul Bryant Uh, Bryant's team had won a major championship they were staying in a nice hotel somewhere all the players and coaches were given brand new t-shirts to commemorate their victory the night of their big win they were all wearing these t-shirts and coach Bryant was walking around and Someone said to him, Coach, we need to get you a a new t-shirt. That one seems to have a hole in it. And Coach Bryant said, I know it has a hole in it. I put it there. He said, I always put a little hole in my clothes to remind myself of where I came from. Bryant had grown up on a farm in Arkansas. His parents were not wealthy and he usually wore hand-me-down clothes that had seen better days. And so despite all his success... He never wanted to forget where he had come from. And similarly for us as Christians, we we do well to remember where we came from, friends. The only thing that has saved us from the kind of foolishness described in this psalm is the grace of God. May we never be proud or self-righteous when we hear atheists spout their foolishness or 
militant Islamists foolishly persecuting our brothers and sisters. May we remember that's where we came from. And we're only any different today by the grace of God. So that's one way the fool can end up. He can be saved by the grace of God. But notice in this psalm the only other possible destiny for the fool. Verse 5. There they are in great terror. For God is with the generation of the righteous. He says in verse 7. Oh that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Notice there he doesn't say if God restores the fortunes of his people, but when God restores the fortunes of his people. In other words, what he's talking about here is the judgment of God coming. A day of judgment, a day of reckoning is coming when the fool's foolishness will not seem so smart anymore. Either fools get grace or fools will get judgment. Either fools trust in that saviour born in the seeming foolishness of a Bethlehem stable or the fool will be punished when that saviour comes a second time, the all-wise, all-knowing judge. And so wisdom tells us today, make sure you are ready for that day. Wisdom says, repent before that day comes, otherwise your foolishness will finally be laid bare and you will be in the most pitiful position. The God of history, of creation, of eternity is a God who will punish the foolishness of sin. But he is also a God who has graciously sent the Lord Jesus Christ. The wise thing to do is to repent and believe. And so Christian friends, don't be discouraged by the atheistic voices that blare so loudly at us in our culture today. Don't hate them or moan and groan about them. Pity them. Pray for them. Plead with them when you have opportunity to repent of their worldly wisdom, which is total foolishness, and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's also pray for ourselves in light of this psalm, that day by day we won't live as though we are still fools, still people who don't need to listen to God's word or to speak to him in prayer or to make his name known to the world. Friends, let's live wisely calling out to God, obeying him, praising him, making him known. Either we repent of our foolishness by God's grace or we're punished for our foolishness by God's judgment. Which will it be for you? What does your heart say today? No God or yes God? Amen.